Hello, friends, and welcome to Miss Shelved, your bi-weekly dose of bookstore love. It is somehow over halfway through September, and that means we're over halfway through our second season, and is time really broken for anybody else? I'm your host, Nicole Brinkley, and I am so excited to be bringing you another episode, even if it is coming sooner than I anticipated. For those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. Every two weeks, I introduce you to an independent bookseller in conversation with an author they love. This week's bookseller is Cassie Duncanson. Hi, my name is Cassie. I am the School and Children's Events Coordinator at Wellesley Books in Massachusetts. Cassie is in conversation today with an author I also greatly enjoy, the fantastic Catherine Valente. Hi, I'm Kat Valenti. I'm an author of science fiction and fantasy books that you can find wherever people hand those things out. I'm most well known probably for the Fairyland series, Deathless and Space Opera. Settle in as these two talk about everything to do with escapist fiction, from softness in stories versus anger, and of course, Ted Lasso. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Audiobooks sort of saved my reading life over this past year going through the pandemic. I suddenly, we hit like April and opening a book for whatever reason just felt like work. And I was able to, thankfully, Libro FM, which is like the indie bookseller, our very favorite thing, which provides a lot of uh, advanced listening copies to booksellers. I have just been listening to books constantly, pretty much almost exclusively listening to books. So I'm wondering what what your reading life, your listening life, your writerly life is with audiobooks. Well, I mean, I think that experience is really common right now. That's mm-hmm. why the audiobook industry is really exploding, because so many people are finding it not just easier, but in in some ways just integrates into their life better to be able to put on an audiobook while they're doing other things or, you know, commuting if anybody still commutes <laughs> uh, and and all of that sort of thing. I love audiobooks and and it's always, always been really important to me to pay close attention to my audio rights and uh, have some say in, in who the narrator is. Because I think that so many people are going to experience my book through the audiobook that it's as important to have an influence on the shape of that as uh, as any kind of edit would be. So that's always been a really big deal to me. I also happen to be married to a professional audiobook narrator. <laughs> so, you know, this is kind of the house of books. There's just a constant factory through line of, uh, of computers. I, I do listen to audiobooks myself and podcasts as well. I certainly, with a small child, don't always have a, a hand to hand to hold a book, even a, right. a, an ebook reader. And uh, it certainly makes, you know, the endless walks around the block pass a little more quickly. So, I mean, I think they're fantastic. I, and I think that people are starting to understand that an audiobook is a performance. It's not just, you know, as much as Amazon would like it to be press this button and a, ro- a robot reads you the book. You know, most people are still looking for, you know, an experience and it is, it really changes the way you receive you know, that material. Mm-hmm. I think that The Martian's a really good example of that. Oh, yeah. Um, like almost everybody I know who just rants and raves about how great that book is <laughs> experienced it through the audiobook, which I think actually really elevates the material. And a good actor can elevate any material. I, It's not my favorite book having read it in text. And that's fine. It's a fantastic audiobook. And it can totally you know, go the other way as well, where if the audiobook is, is not great, it turns people off of the text. But I, it's a really interesting and growing industry right now. And I'm kind of seeing it from both sides in this house. 
Right. Yeah. One of the things I've been sort of talking about in particular with my coworkers, because we're all right now, you know, we're, we're reading a lot for our job. We're reading so that we can still recommend books to our customers online and in the store. Everyone right now is just looking for feel good books, comfort yeah. books, things that like make you feel like you're being held. And a lot of people I think are turning to audiobooks for that same reason is that while you definitely, you know, get the full emotional experience from a physical text, there's like an added layer of there is someone here with us through a performance. And I really love that. And I think also, you know, at the start of at least lockdown here in the United States, every not everyone, but a lot of people were jumping on their computers and they were you know, saying, hey, let me read you a story. And in fact, you started to do The, the Orphan's Tales. Is mm -hmm. that correct? And yeah, no, and, and finished it. I read the whole series it. out loud on Instagram Live from March to Halloween. That's how yeah. long it took. I mean, it's about a thousand pages. of, of Right. <laughs> It's a hefty, it's a good, good hefty text. It was a lot. But part of the reason that, that I did that is that there has never been an audiobook of The Orphan's Tales, much to right. my frustration and, and consternation. And so I don't have the audio rights, but I have the performance rights. Mm -hmm. So with me performing it on camera, you know, it was something that that I could do. And it it's, I mean, I've read some of my own audiobooks before. I read the the first and the third Fairyland book. I'm, I'm fairly known for giving good readings. Doing the... Orphan's Tales was, it was a whole other experience though, because uh, I wrote it, but I wrote it when I was 22. So I was a wholly different person. <laughs> and like, I don't even remember half of what's in that book, to be perfectly honest. You know, I've, I've written 43 books, mm -hmm. I, you know, and yeah. that was one of the, that was one of the first. So I don't have a solid memory of everything that happens <laughs> in that book. And so it was really kind of an interesting process of, of remembering not only who I was then, but kind of a whole other world of the very early 2000s. And there's a lot to think about in that during the, the pandemic when sort of the world came grinding to a halt. So it is an audiobook, but it's also it, a, a performance and, and every sort of episode I talk about what I remember of, of what into, went into that particular chapter here and there. But it was certainly a, a very different experience. Yeah. What was it like, I guess, doing that on Instagram Live as opposed to, you know, recording it, editing it, and then putting it out? What was it like to sort of have that live, not feedback, I guess, but that live sort of direct communication with the audience who was listening in there with you in the moment? I mean, it was really nice. And I think that it, it helped me as much as it helped other people to have somewhere I had to be and, you know, have regular clothes and a little makeup on every yeah, night. Because the, the first book we I did every night, that was quite a lot, actually. So the second book, mm -hmm. I did it a couple of nights a week. But yeah, it was really nice to have that sort of feedback. It felt like people still being around. And I know you guys all remember early on in lockdown, you know, you didn't leave your house at all. We were doing the bells yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So it was very... <laughs> very strange and, and lonely time. And so it was really nice for me. And I, I noticed when I stopped doing it every night that like how much it really had been helping my mental health to, mm -hmm. to have a performance I had to do every night. You know, I had to, had to have it somewhat together, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but if, you know, if I'd had to edit it and do all the normal things you do with an audiobook, I mean, not only would it have been a lot more work, but I, I think it would have been much more static because I never, I never read ahead to even really see what I was going to be reading that night. So everything, every sort of performance decision is made on the fly. And I think that there's an immediacy to that 
you know, you can see me sort of laugh at things that are referenced, things that turn up in other books. There's a couple lines that are referenced in Fairyland and, and just there's like little bits here and there. And you can see me kind of come across that and laugh um, and be surprised at things. And I think that was enjoyable for people as I kind of experienced it along with them. And it, it definitely meant I didn't have to spend every day stressing myself out about what performance sure. choices I was going to make. Have there been any audiobooks you've listened to within the last, oh, let's call it a year, that have particularly stood out to you for their performance or for, for how much you for how much you enjoy them? Like you were saying with The Martian, like as an audiobook, that is an incredible creative object there. As a text, mm-hmm. it's still great for, for many, many readers, but as an audiobook, it really sort of sings. Has there been anything where you felt similarly that you've listened to? You know, uh, N.K. Jemison's The City We Became was a really, yes. really effective <laughs> audiobook. I haven't, I have not completely switched over to audiobooks, so I'm still, you know, fighting tooth and claw to to read things in text. So I've only listened to a couple over the last year, and that was probably the one that stood out the most. Yeah, I think that one, for me as well, that one, like, I've, I had started listening to a lot of audiobooks already, but I listened to N.K. Jemisin's, which is read by the lovely Robin Miles. And for those She's of you who amazing. don't you know, oh my gosh, incredible. Just like complete theatrical performance and it's only done orally. For, for anyone who is unfamiliar with The City We Became, it's this fantastic Lovecraftian tale. It's the first of a series about these sort of eldritch monsters that are coming up in New York City and they are trying to take over the city. And New York City decides to fight back and she chooses individuals from each borough of New York to fight back. And the the audiobook itself was just produced so lovingly with like extra Mm -hmm. music and a lot of changes to the sounds that the narrator Robin Miles is doing. And was just very much like a complete, like it almost felt like to me like a radio performance, almost like what I would more expect from that. And and it's a lot of fun. It's sort of a, a, we're getting the gang together book Mm -hmm. but you know with eldritch monsters and making fun of hp lovecraft as much as physically possible (laughs) which is always a good time (laughs) i've been thinking a lot about things like small moments that bring me joy more these days than Mm. than they might have in the past when we weren't dealing with personal local global crises and i think you 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 had a patreon essay where you touched upon this where you're where i I remember a a bit towards the end you were talking about i might paraphrase it incorrectly here but essentially about we're just getting through we are going to have a lot to process on the end of it but at this Mm -hmm. very moment we are just getting through you you got up you put clothes on oh my god look at you go you (laughs) put lipstick on holy cow you're amazing well i mean we're still in this time, you know, as yeah. much as we're all kind of pretending that we're not. And I'm fully vaccinated, but it's that doesn't that doesn't mean it's <laughs> over, you know, like we do For have sure. a theory of mind. Other people are experiencing different things. It's really hard to mm. create art about trauma while you're still in the midst of trauma. So I think that I do find it interesting to think in some ways therapeutic to sort of mentally model as I am a science fiction writer and it is my job, what the next mm-hmm. sort of 20 years are going to look like. Because I think that we're going to be discovering new scars for a long time. Yeah, This generation is going to have just far reaching changes because of this. And every every sort of generation is going to experience that differently. You know, the kids who, who had their education so completely disrupted and their entire way of interacting with the social world changed. And then all of the adults have had their social world changed, but also 
you know, their work world changed and work from home is going to be a much bigger deal. All of us who are writers have learned to do things like the Instagram live readings, have learned to, you know, make a little broadcast studios in our in mm-hmm. our homes and and try to do what we've always done without being around other people and all the virtual conventions and, and everything else. And uh, it will be really interesting to see both the positive and negative of how that goes on. I think that we will see virtual conventions continue, even if there is a real convention behind it, because one of the positive things was that a lot of people who couldn't afford to travel to those conventions mm-hmm. then got to experience it, you know, and paid a lower fee and got to support the convention and, you know, be part of the panels in a way that they had never gotten to do before. And that's a valuable thing that we should be continuing. Conventions shouldn't be gate kept just to people who can drop $1,500 on a, a, mm. a weekend away. And there'll be a lot of things like that. I think that we will all have massive social anxiety. Yeah. Um, that, that's not a big, uh, it's not a big stretch. And that's, that's, all that's assuming we do come out of it because tomorrow a new variant could come along. So that'll be super fun. Mm-hmm. I think that I think about what books are going to look like, what disaster books are going to look like. Like, for example, I'm reading Ministry for the Future right now, mm-hmm. Stanley Robinson's new book. And the whole first part of it is about this crisis in India, which is not the crisis happening in India right now, but it's pretty eerie oh, to uh-huh. be reading those those chapters when in fact, India is in desperate crisis right now. Right. And a lot of the sort of it's not like it's a heat wave that kills millions of people in in the book but you know <laughs> another thing is happening right now so it's it, it was it's very eerie but i think that no one's going to be able to write an apocalypse book the same way again. And I don't think that very many of us who have or who have written a medical outbreak book, as I I did in 2018, <laughs> man, I wish I had not done that. Like I know way too much about viruses now, just just way too much. It's People are so much worse than we thought. Like no one, no one's going to write a zombie apocalypse where people aren't denying that it's happening or mm-hmm. indeed trying to get bitten or all kinds of new venues for people to be the absolute worst that we couldn't imagine before they were given a shiny yeah. new opportunity. And so it's going to change how how we model group dynamics. And I'm working on the sequel to Space Opera right now. And it's something that I really mm. have to think about because the whole beginning of the book is about how humans reacted to this alien invasion that happened in the mm. first book. And I am having, though these are comedic books, I am having to sort of, <laughs> integrate what I have learned into this thing. And, and that's that's only appropriate. The first space opera book was written right after Trump uh, was inaugurated. And, and it definitely is a wildly different book than it would have been had the election gone the other way. And I, I, I am late on the space opera sequel, mostly because of having had a baby. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, but because I was late, Eurovision got canceled. <laughs> in 2020 Eurovision was canceled for the first time so like this thing happened that had I been on time this is how I justify it to my editor (laughs) had I I been on time I would have missed this you know extraordinary turn of events in in Eurovision history and all these impossible things have happened and then they'll also you know I mentioned my baby there'll there'll be those of us who who were raising small children during this Mm -hmm. thing and I see it. I see it in my son who used to be wildly social and is now totally unsure as to whether he's even allowed to interact with human beings that are not us. And there's no way of knowing what that social fallout is going to be. I think we're going to be, man, we're going to be writing memoirs and documentaries on it until the end of time. I already have the title of mine picked out. Like It's just, we're going to be self-analyzing this 
forever, but I think we will need some space from it. And frankly, you know, the stuff I talked about in the essay, you mentioned like, you know, good for you getting dressed and cleaning a room in your house today. I would really like to hold on to that energy. Um, (laughs) Like I approve of that energy. We're all like looking out for each other in a way that I don't, I don't like making big sweeping generational judgments, but culture does change over time. I don't really see if this were happening in the seventies or eighties, people (laughs) extending that level of grace to, to others. And I, I I would like to hold on to that little millennial spirit. We can call that the millennial Mm -hmm. spirit, right? Oh, I like that. Just like like ruining Applebee's. Uh, (laughs) we can have both yeah we can accomplish anything we can ruin applebee's and look out for each other so it's just so much is going on and actually a lot of it keeps me up at night but it does in some sense Mm. comfort me to sort of do the work that i do in fictional worlds with our real world and try to imagine what this is going to be what we are going to become uh not to ape the title of nk jemison's book but the you know the the country we're going to become and uh, the world we're going to become. And, uh, you know, there's so few things that have affected the entire planet down from villages to metropolises and and everybody has gone through this to some extent or another and it it really will change everything but as far as things that have brought me joy you know i keep i'm hammering this just constantly these days there's a show called ted lasso yes um, on apple tv and i would just like everybody to watch it it is not a science fiction show which nobody is more surprised than i am at my love for a non uh, speculative show but in some ways it kind of is because it's a sports show that is not like other sports shows but like sports kind of take the place of the techno babble in Star Trek. So I kind of ignore okay. it on the same okay. level. Like the offside rule is like the tacky reverse, the polarity of the tachyon beam. Like it's the same kind of yeah. thing to yeah. me. So that's part of how I enjoy it. It's a relentlessly optimistic show without ever being che- really ever being cheesy without it manages to be funny and crisp and edgy without ever being negative and constantly allowing people to be their best selves without using sort of therapeutic language like that. It's a really, really wonderful show. And I I have enjoyed, though I, I feel like I understand why it's happened and I don't necessarily enjoy that that's has happened, but there has been a real shift in most media. I see it in science fiction as well towards a, if you will forgive the term, a, a kinder, gentler storytelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been a big step away from that ironic, detached kind of too cool for school, mm-hmm. you know, hero protagonist kind of snow crashy kind of thing that was so popular in the early 2000s and the and even into the um, early 2010s. I wrote an essay on Patreon about Ted Lasso as well, and I mm-hmm. compared it to how in sort of the Obama administration and just before that, we were all super into cat memes. <laughs> okay. And the cat memes are all about how cats actually hate us and are way smarter than us and don't really tolerate us. And I remember reading people talking about how, oh, you could never make a dog meme. Like that's, that just wouldn't be the same. And like, then everything turned to shit. And now we're all super into dog memes about like loyalty and connection and, and love and adoration. Like we, the world got very hard very quickly for a lot of people at once. And obviously the world is very hard for many of us at many different times, but the whole tenor, but the whole tenor of sort of discourse and everything got very harsh very quickly. And I feel like art has kind of reacted to that by showing us a more positive and, and connective way to tell stories. Yeah, I've, I've noticed myself personally, like I have been hyper fixating on like all the silver lining, like what silver linings I can sort of scrounge up, like 
way more than I've ever experienced before in my life. It, particularly like rewatching just the shows and the movies that I found myself enjoying. Mm. And one of those, which I think you've mentioned before in either your Patreon or Twitter was Letterkenny. Mm. Where oh, I Letterkenny, just, yeah. it's, I cannot get enough of that show. It's just this very much about this community of rural farmers and all their neighbors and everyone that they live with, but the banter and the Oh care. yeah, it's like a Beckett play. It's, it's really, it's just back and forth. Like I, I, I watch everything with captions, but I especially have to watch that show with captions anyway, because I, I my brain cannot keep up mm. with just how witty and how funny that show is. But, but at the end of the day, like for all the, the side characters that we have, like it's a lot about taking care of each other in like yeah. the best way that we can. I, and I'm so glad that, you know, like shows like Ted Lasso and Letterkenny and all these books that we're seeing, like they were there to begin with. It's not like there, there was a dearth of those books but they weren't um, on trend but they weren't you know? on trend and i feel like we're seeing that and i as a bookseller my, my brain automatically goes oh i have a book for that and mm. the one in particular or, or the couple i guess in particular that we've been selling a lot of lately and, and hand selling in particular is the house in the cerulean sea by tj clune which is just an absolute hug of a book which is very much about you know, finding yourself, finding your family, coming to terms with wanting to be better and enacting upon that with really cute little monster children and other supernatural children. And the other one that's, that's been really a, a comfort in, in, to me in particular, like I read the book and then when I'm like, oh, I need a hug again, I, I, I listened to the audiobook, Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, which is which is not usually in my wheelhouse. It's it's a, a romance novel, very much also coming of age. And, and in that, actually, we've been getting a lot of high schoolers coming in because the, mm. the book went viral on TikTok. And so which, which is just really, really hilarious to me despite the fact that I am like very like in the center of the millennial generation, <laughs> I have absolutely, I'm baffled by it. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's very much similar to House in the Cerulean Sea, just coming into yourself as you are and being okay with that. And also taking care of that community that you have around yeah. you. Like, you know, we are individuals, but like we're all connected in some form or another to our greater community for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the fairyland books are very much about that as well. Before their time, I guess. And and in many ways, I feel like of late, I only write two kinds of books. I write books like this <laughs> that are just like a, a warm, fluffy sweater. And I write mm -hmm. angry books. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's, it's one or the other. So it just depends on what hat I have on uh, on any given day. I have two books coming out this year and one is one yes. and the other is the other. They're there. It is the perfect example of, of that that place where I'm at right now. And I think that we're all kind of slaloming back and forth between just being angry at everything yes. that has freaking happened and mm -hmm. being in desperate need of a hug. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I think that that's just going on with a lot of us. Yeah, I, I, I had the, the opportunity. I got sent an early copy of The Past is Red and oh mm. my God. Oof, <laughs> oof. Oh, just it packs a punch. I really loved it. I, feel, I, I think the reason that it was such an emotional punch for me is that Tetley, the main character there, I just felt like what she is dealing with, I think resonated with me very deeply though. She is going through a lot. The apocalypse has happened she is in it and she's sort of dealing with the repercussions of her world and the 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 way she's dealing with everything just felt very resonant to me i guess is what i'm trying to say here is there's a lot of like twisty complicated things that she is dealing with that i think a lot of people are going to find comfort in because there's so much happening 
and she's just she's going on and it, it's well fabulous. and you know she was born into that world and she's never known anything right. else and so to her that world is as normal as a suburban street right. it's horrifying to us but you know there is a the the pastures red has sort of two distinct sections and in one she's a, mm-hmm. a child to young woman and in the other mm-hmm. she's almost 30 but you know there is a certain kind of teen girl that will see the beauty in anything and she is that girl and so she looks around at this totally horrifying landscape and says this is my home and yeah. I love it and have to protect it. And it's the best place that ever could possibly exist because it's it's to her the only place that's ever existed. And so one of the things I love about writing her is that juxtaposition between, you know, something so, so hard and difficult and hopeless and how relentlessly in love with it she is. I wish I could be like that. I'm not, but it is, you know, man, I wrote, I finished writing that just before really all of this happened. So I finished writing in December and then the Mm. lockdown happened in March. So like, I think that I could still see with Tetley's eyes a little bit, you know, you can look around and see emissions went down, you know, Mm. and and animals started coming back into the street. (laughs) You know, there were, there were beautiful things about it and we all did Mm. get a lot more connected not physically but but psychologically we all kind of went through this this thing together even even if we weren't together and all those gosh i'll just never forget all those videos of like the apartment buildings in spain with people playing music out on the balconies yeah. to each other when no one could leave you know those are those are things that that stick with you I, i'm still talking about challenger you know all these yeah. years later and i was in first grade so i'm gonna be talking about this for for a lot longer than that the sort of source of the past is read was this anthology called drowned worlds and mm-hmm. jonathan strong when he when he sent out the sort of proceed for the anthology, one of the little questions in it was like, what stories will we be telling after, you know, the climate apocalypse and the oceans rise and all that stuff? And my knee jerk response was, well, exactly the same kind of stories that we tell now, because we literally never ever change. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I don't really think that we're going to change much as a group from this. Many of us will change profoundly individually, but I don't think that that we're going to be hugely different. It is very hard to get such a massive planet full of people to course correct. And no matter no matter how much trauma we went through in the past year, not just the pandemic, but you know the protests and and the the coup and like all of this other stuff that happened, it would be nice if we could have all just been given enough psychic space to process the pandemic before anybody anything else just went completely to hell. But that did not work out that way. Um, and it never does, I guess. <laughs> I say it as a joke, but I feel like I need like a spark notes for this last year. <laughs> I can't Just wait to watch the documentary. Oh gosh, yeah. No, it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be a hoop. Actually, I was wondering if you're allowed, if you wouldn't mind telling me a little bit about the sequel to Space Opera. Is there anything that you can sort of this is going in reverse a little <laughs> bit here? But I have I have very fond memories sort of combining your writing and audiobooks when I was oh gosh, I went to grad school in Oregon. And when I finished grad school, I drove with my fiance out back home to Massachusetts, and that was Space Opera was one of the books that we listened to on the way back. And so I've got very fond memories of driving through very flat land listening to that book. I mean, I don't really want to give away too much because I've been I've been kind of secretive about it. You know, it it follows on pretty directly after the first one and deals with what Des is doing now, <laughs> what it, what his new job is. And and with the I'll say this much and I haven't even said this much to anyone else, so you could call it an exclusive. It deals <laughs> with the next borderline sentient species to be discovered. Ooh. And indeed, Eurovision will be canceled in it. 
So it's, it deals with a sort of explosive event in the galaxy and with a new species that no one is, is very sure about. I can't wait. I really, I'm so excited. <laughs> Again, I'm Cassie. You can find me at Wellesley Books YA on Twitter. I work at the Wellesley Bookstore in Massachusetts. Come give us a call. Come hang out. I'll be there. I'm Kat Valenti. You can find me on Twitter at Kat Valenti, Instagram as well. And I'm Kat Valenti on Patreon, where you can read a bunch of the essays that we, uh, <laughs> we just mentioned. The two that we talked about are actually open to the public, so anyone can read them. Thank you for listening. And we close the chapter on another episode. If you liked it, and we hope you do, don't forget to subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, we're on them all. If you really like what we do, you can support us by following on Instagram and Twitter at MissShelvedPod. Early access to episodes, as well as lots of other cool perks, are available over at my Patreon. That's patreon.com slash nebrinkley. We'll be back with another episode for you in two weeks. Until then, happy reading! <laughs>